Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Um, we've survived on one hour less sleep. Well done, us. <laughs> um, if you've joined us for the first time this morning, um, a warm welcome from me. We are in the middle of a series of talks that we've called Encounters with Jesus, where we are looking at people's encounters with Jesus through the book of John in the Bible, and how through these encounters we can see that Jesus Christ meets every human need and longing. That is what we are looking at. And today, the encounter that we are reading is an encounter that was a conversation. Um, We'll go on to see other encounters that were more the signs and wonders, but these signs and wonders had stared Nicodemus's um, thoughts because it was his encounter with Jesus that we're looking at today. And this was a conversation. Um, And just to say at the beginning here, If you are exploring faith and you're thinking, or we've known God for years, whatever it might be, don't underestimate the power of conversation, the power of a conversation, whether that be a conversation in prayer to God, even for the first time, whether that is a conversation in a more structured way through the Alpha course, whether that is a conversation with friends or people that we know over dinner or over coffee. Um, I know some of the most defining moments of my life have happened over dinner and coffee. Uh, Don't underestimate conversation. And I think what we're going to read of today, this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus was a life-defining conversation for Nicodemus. Before we read, just so we know who we're talking about, Nicodemus, a bit of his character backstory, he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was a very well-respected, well-educated, well-thought-of man. And Pharisees were a group of people who were known to be very religious, very moral, very um, believing in Jewish tradition, and very, very concerned about keeping the law and doing everything right. It was all about doing the right thing and being seen to do the right thing. So this is our character, Nicodemus. Our setting for this conversation, this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus is at nighttime. It's dark. Nicodemus had come to see Jesus at night. And we don't know whether he was there out of his own curiosity. It says he'd seen the signs and wonders that Jesus had done. Whether he'd come there on his own to meet with Jesus or whether he'd come as a kind of delegate from other Pharisees and he'd come on their behalf to suss out Jesus or work Jesus out to have a conversation with him. But for whatever reason, Jesus is here with Nicodemus at night in the dark. So here we go. Here is our account. It's from John 3 verses 1 to 21. Now there is a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs and wonders you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Are we okay? <laughs> it's an amazing but very big passage. <laughs> Are we still together? Great. Um, before we go, <coughs> excuse me, we've got Nicodemus and Jesus. It's late at night, and we've got our encounter, this conversation. And as I've just said, it's a big passage. And after I was spending some time preparing and praying for this morning and mulling this over and reading it, the words that kept on coming to my mind were it's all about grace. It's all about grace. And before we just go any further into this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, we're just going to take a couple of minutes to explore this. What is grace? If it's all about grace, what is grace? I don't know if you've ever been let off the hook for something or you've ever not been penalized for something that you should have been. Well, Philip Yancey, who is a New York Times bestselling author, he wrote a book. It was a while ago now. You might have read it. It was called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he tells this story in this book. I remember once getting stuck in Los Angeles traffic and arriving 58 minutes late at the Hertz rental desk. I walked up in kind of a bad mood, put the keys down and said, how much do I owe? The woman says, nothing, you're all clear. I said, I was late, and she smiled, yep, but there's a one-hour grace period. So I asked, oh, really? What's grace? And she said, I don't know. They mustn't cover that in Hertz training classes, says Philip. I guess what it means, she went on, is that even though you're supposed to pay, you don't have to. Even though you're supposed to pay, you don't have to. Philip goes on to say that he got a, um, a letter from a reader wanting to thank him for the book that he'd written. And she wrote to him and said, Dear Philip, I just wanted to thank you for your book. What's so annoying about grace? And he said, I'm going to trust that it was a typographical error. <laughs> but the truth is, grace can be annoying. 
It's easy to show grace to people who think just like we do. It's much harder to show grace to those who offend us or who deeply grieve or hurt us. In 1945, there was a German soldier who was sat broken inside a prisoner of war camp in Scotland, and he was contemplating the darkness that he had encountered and all that he had seen and the desolate desolate future that he foresaw, and he writes this. And then what came for me was the worst of all. In September 1945, in Camp 22 in Scotland, we were confronted with pictures of Belsen and Auschwitz. They were pinned up in one of the huts without comment. Slowly and inexorably, the truth filtered into our awareness. Was this what we had fought for? Had my generation been driven to our deaths so that the concentration camp murderers could go on killing? The depression over the wartime destruction and a captivity without any apparent end was exacerbated by feelings of profound shame and having to share in this disgrace. That was undoubtedly the hardest thing, a stranglehold that choked us. And just after he wrote this, a chaplain came to visit this camp in Scotland and gave him a Bible. And he said that as he read this Bible, he began to encounter similar cries throughout the Psalms. And then he saw, he read of when Christ was crucified and himself suffered a sense of abandonment and shame. And in 1947, he tells he was given the permission to attend a Christian conference that brought together young people from all across the world. Um, And when he was there, there was some Dutch participants that asked to meet with the German prisoners of war who had fought in the Netherlands. And this soldier was one of those people. And he said he went to the meeting full of fear and full of guilt and full of shame, feelings that intensified as the Dutch Christians shared their experiences of the war. Yet the Dutch Christians, he said, didn't come out of forgiveness, but out of vindictiveness, but they offered forgiveness. It was completely unexpected, he said. They embodied the love that he had read about in the story of Christ. And he says that he turned his life upside down as he discovered there was grace for the future. And he was a man that you might have heard of. He was called Jürgen Moltmann, and he went on to become one of the greatest theologians of um, the last century. And he later penned these words. The ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found at all in what we want, wish for, and wait for. The ultimate reason is that we are wanted and wished for and waited for. And the question that I asked at the beginning, have you ever been let off the hook, was maybe an unfair question in some ways. But that's sometimes how we can frame grace, how our world can frame grace. There's a 15-day grace period before we need to pay back a loan. There's a one-hour grace period before we need to repay the car rental money. There's a finite period of time. There's one grace allowance before we need to pay the charges on our bank overdraft, which I've already used on mine. But, um, but this is the way that we can experience and understand grace in some ways. 
And when grace is just about our behavior, when it's about what we have or haven't done, we can feel relief in the moment. We can think, oh, I got away with it. And actually, it might lead us to think, do you know what? I got away with it once. Maybe I'll get away with it again. But when we talk about the essence of grace, the grace that we find in this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus, it's grace that's all about the very core of who we are. It's about our hearts and our souls and our minds. It's about transformation. It's about coming to believe and live in the truth that we are longed for and waited for and wished for. And there's so much in this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, but there's three expressions of grace that we're going to look at together this morning. And the first of these is grace equals belonging. Grace equals belonging. And if I were to ask us this morning, who wants to belong? Who wants to belong, whether that's in family or church or in this city? My guess is that we would all say yes, because the truth is that the desire and the need to belong is a fundamental human need. Whether we're born in Mongolia or China or Italy or France or Spain or the UK, whether we're born in this century or the last century, the need and the desire to belong is recognized as a fundamental human need. We want to belong. We want to be known. We want to be part of something that is bigger than our own selves. We want meaningful, sustained relationships because somehow we know that we were made for them. And we will look for this belonging in different ways. It will find maybe some expression when we join clubs, hockey club, photography club, whatever it might be. And all of those things, we find commonality with people, shared experience and wisdom. And actually, it's recognized that when we're part of situations like this, it contributes to a happier, healthier self with a greater sense of motivation. But we might also find ourselves looking for belonging in some more damaging ways. I don't know if you heard um, about the a craze that started a couple of years ago called Am I Pretty? When girls as young as nine and ten would um, put their makeup on, put their best clothes on, and they would film themselves and ask the internet world, Am I Pretty? Am I pretty? And they would look for affirmation from people and to, in reply to their response and their question, not because they were vain, but because I think in some way they were looking for belonging. They were looking to be validated. They were looking for an answer to these questions. These questions that I think at some point in our lives, we will ask, who am I? Where do I belong? Where do I find my sense of meaning? Where do I find my sense of purpose? Where do I belong? And this is a question that Nicodemus thought he had the answer to. Nicodemus was from the right family. He had been born into the lineage of Abraham. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was like, I have got this sorted. I belong. I am in the right family. And everything about his life was about being in about being in the right family. And everything he was doing, following the law, upholding tradition, was maintaining his place in this family, was maintaining his right to belong. And he comes to Jesus at the beginning of our 
conversation. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because no one could do what you're doing if God wasn't with them. And Jesus replies, in some way, it seems quite an odd reply to Nicodemus's statement. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he doesn't always just answer our words, but he goes beyond our words and answers our hearts. And so he knew what Nicodemus was saying. And he says to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. What? Said Nicodemus, this is physically impossible. Like, what are you saying? And Jesus basically says to him, Exactly. It is totally physically impossible to become part of this kingdom of God without being born a second time, without being born by our spirit. This kingdom, God's family in a way, um, excuse me, is not about the right family that you're born into here on earth. It's not about our education or our career. It's not about our past. It's not about our dreams or our hopes for the future. It's not about being seen to do the right thing. It's not about how many times we attend church. It's not about saying the right thing or looking good. Belonging in this kingdom, this family of God, because when we're born, we're born into something. Belonging in this family is about everything being renewed and born again, says Jesus. Now, this was shocking for Nicodemus because he thought they had this nailed. And the (coughs) truth is, when he was asking Jesus, what, like how on earth can someone be born again? He might be asking a question that some of us might also ask. Jesus, if what you say is true, if you answer our deepest longing for belonging by being born into a family, how on earth is this possible? How on earth is such a deep and true sense of belonging possible? Because grace equals a saviour. Grace equals a saviour. I am. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever surprised you with something really good. I tried to get photos of it, um, but they were all stuck on Facebook, uh, so I couldn't quite get them off. But last year, a bunch of my good friends threw a surprise party for me, a surprise birthday party. And it was seriously one of the best surprises that I have ever been given. They rented a community hall near where we live, and they transformed the place. There was fairy lights everywhere. There was newspaper, cut-out letters. If you've ever been to a women's night, you know that I tend to cut out letters from newspaper and string them around the room according to our theme. As an FYO, there is a women's night on May the 12th. (laughs) If you are a woman, we will see you there. Put it in your diaries. Um, But on this night, they'd cut out all the things that I say, like, hey, Gorge, (laughs) love, love. And they'd strung them around the room. There was areas of the room. There was like a Liverpool tourist board area, because I'm from Liverpool, and I love talking about Liverpool. There was all sorts of different things about who I was. There was trestle tables laid for dinner. Everyone bought food, like the most amazing hot food. There was songs written about me, spoken word performed about me. There was silent disco um, with all my favorite playlist songs. I was like totally, totally blown away. I like honestly was in a love daze for about six months after. I kept on thinking, I can't believe, I can't believe what they did. Like I I could not believe it. I felt like Diana Ross when she sings about her love hangover. I was totally blown away and I thought there's two things I think that made me so overwhelmed by this and the first was they knew me 
They knew me. They knew that for me, it wasn't about being in a super fancy place with everything done for you, which is gorgeous and a treat. But for me, it was about a community hall transformed by all the gifts and creativity that everyone bought. And they loved me. Everything that they had prepared was for me. I'll never forget their faces as I arrived. And they were like, look what we've done. Look what we've got ready for you. And the amazing thing is in John 3 verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. This is what God has prepared for us. This is what he has been preparing for us since before time began. This sense of look who I have given to you. Look what I have prepared for you. God knows what we need and he has prepared it all out of love. At the beginning of this conversation, Nicodemus had come to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. And Rabbi means teacher. So Nicodemus was really stating his point. Teacher, we know you're a teacher. And Nicodemus had decided who Jesus was, a teacher who God was with, like God had been with numerous teachers and prophets throughout history. But Jesus in this moment won't let himself be defined by Nicodemus and the Pharisees. Grace does not equal a teacher. Grace equals a saviour. C.S. Lewis says you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And in our encounter, we read of this kind of obscure verse in verse 14. It's a um, a reference about Moses lifting up the snake in the desert. And Jesus is referring to a time, you can read it in Numbers 21, when Moses made a bronze snake. And whenever he held it up, it meant if the Israelites looked at it, they wouldn't die from the plague of snakes that had been sent. And it's as if Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you're a man of the law, you're a man of the scriptures. Think about this reference. Think about what this was supposed to speak of, what this was supposed to symbolize, that the theme of God throughout the story of time has not changed, that he is all about saving his people. All that he has prepared for us is about saving his people. And Jesus says in reference to this, just like that, the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I haven't come, says Jesus, to make you a better people. I haven't come to watch you from a distance and make sure that you're obeying the law and that you're doing all the right things. I have come because God knows you. Because God knows you and he knows what you need, I have come because of love. I have come to save you from darkness and evil and death that covers the earth and is sometimes in our own hearts too. We need a savior because we need saving. Not so we can just belong to another family or another club, but so we can be saved into the family where we will find our truest sense of belonging Way back in the Garden of Eden, which we can read about in Genesis, when the knowledge of good and evil became a reality in our world, we became separated from the very one that we were made for. And the cross of Jesus is what saves us and heals this gap. 
And N.T. Wright says, if we want to know this healing ourselves, we must get involved in the process. Not by trying to earn it, not by trying to work our way in, not by trying to be good, not by becoming religious, but by seeing this kingdom, by becoming part of this kingdom for what it is. The death and the resurrection of Jesus being the way that we find ultimate belonging and freedom and forgiveness and healing and trusting ourselves to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't die but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son to condemn the world but to save the world. God knows us. He knows what we need. And he loves us. And if we choose to believe this, if we choose to believe that this is what life is all about, it goes on to say in our passage that it's like stepping into light. Grace equals light. The Pharisees had a reputation for being people quite often of double standards. Even Jesus said of them in Matthew 23, do what they're teaching because what they're teaching is actually the law, but don't, what they, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They had a reputation for kind of putting on a good appearance, maintaining status, but actually not living this in their hearts. It was an act of having it all together. It was an act of perfection. But stepping into the light is about all of our lives being known and loved and saved by Jesus. Last year, I was having breakfast with Barney Bruining, who is four, and I live um, with the Bruining family, and we were chatting over breakfast, and they'd just come back from holiday in France, and Carola, Barney's mum, had, they had like their own little church one Sunday morning on holiday, and Carola had decided to lead um, a little Bible study on Revelation. I was like, go girl, like, it's quite a big book to uh, bring on holiday, but anyway, they were talking about heaven. And I said to Barney, oh, what will heaven be like? And Barney's first answer, he was showing me the picture that he'd drawn as a result of this uh, chat that they had on holiday. And he said, heaven will be a place where there will be no more hiding. And I love that. As I was sat over breakfast having Barney, who's four, there will be no more hiding. If belonging is all about our behavior and what we, we have to do, then I don't know about you, but I wouldn't get very far. But if belonging is about realizing that we're born again because of a savior, then everything can be brought into the light. There's no need to live in fear or in shame. And the release and the relief that comes in this moment, it might feel a little bit like the sun coming up one morning. I am um, a few years ago, I well, it was actually a number of years ago when I, was, I took a gap year before I went to university. And I know most people often go to the other side of the world. I went to the other side of Liverpool. <laughs> so I'm from Liverpool and I went to South Liverpool. And I um, stayed in this um, YWAM house. YWAM is like a Christian organisation. Um, often does a lot of work with young people all over the world. Um, and what we were kind of being trained if we ever found ourselves in tricky circumstances or unexpected situations. And so we'd, for this exercise, we had to pack, back, pack a backpack um, with like certain required things in it. And then the backpack was ready in our rooms, but we didn't know when we might need it. So you were told like what clothes you could take, etc. 
And then one morning in the middle of the night, uh, we got hammered on the door and it was like, get up, get out, like, rah. And we got bundled into this minibus and the windows had all been blacked out. So we had like, we dry, we drove for ages, didn't quite know where we were. And then we got, we got pulled up to this place and it was like, okay, you've got to walk five miles. Here's a map. No, we didn't get a map. That was the whole point. You've got to walk five miles, follow us on this trail. Um, and then we're going to get to the place where we need to make camp for the day. So I was like, okay, thinking I have no idea where we are. You're all in a slightly bit of a daze, and we got there. And then as we were making our camp, we'd came, come to this tree area. And I'll never forget the sun rising. And as daylight came, I realized that I was about 10 minutes from my house, like from where I lived at home. And all of a sudden, what had seemed so unknown and so kind of quite fearful in some ways and things that I was so, so unsure of, as the light came up, I saw where I was. Was. I saw what was going on and in a sense it can be like that as we allow light to shine into life we see where we are we see who we are we see what we were made for grace equals light and it could be for some of us that that um, sense of finding that actually comes through doing something like the steps course practical steps that we can take to walk this out with one another <clears throat> there's other men's recovery courses, other ways that we can pray with one another, whatever it might be. But the light that shines into our lives brings a true sense of belonging when we will let it. So grace equals belonging, it equals a savior, it equals light. And there's an amazing follow-up to this encounter, this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And we find it at the end of the book of John, in John chapter 19. And this, um, these two verses come after Jesus has just died on the cross. He's just died. And it says in verse 38, John chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of lemon. And in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says that when Jesus died, there was a darkness that covered the earth for three hours. And I think it's this amazing picture that we have that once again, Nicodemus and Jesus were together in darkness. But this time, Nicodemus wasn't there for fear of being seen. He wasn't there out of shame or in hiding. He was there because he had known the one that he had come to believe was light and life. He was there in full view, taking down the body of Jesus. And the amount of mare and aloes that he brought was apparently an extravagant amount that signified him giving Jesus a royal burial. <laughs> he was with the dark darkness he was with Jesus in the darkness but everything it seems had changed and the amazing thing is we discover this grace to belong that grace is a savior that grace equals light 
<clears throat> it means that we can find ourselves in places of darkness, whether that might be in our own hearts that we want to have that know the freedom to share with one another, whether that is places of darkness in this city or in places across the earth where there is violence and fear, where there is mistrust, where there is lack of connection, where there is pain and sadness, where there is anxiety, where there is loneliness. We can find ourselves in these places working as Lars said earlier to bring hope and grace and light and life not because we have it all together not because we need to do it to earn our way into the kingdom or look for God's approval but because if we choose to believe that Jesus is who he says he is if we choose to believe in all that he's done for us we can find ourselves in these places <coughs> because of grace and it causes us to work for the good of the places that we find ourselves in to create spaces for true dialogue to be peacemakers to come alongside those who are lonely to contribute to good business ethics to champion justice wherever it might be wherever we might find ourselves we can find ourselves in the place of darkness knowing the one who is light just a lovely um story that kind of brought this to life for me a number of years ago when I lived in Ells Court I used to have a friend called Evelyn and she was in her 60s and she'd spent most of her life on the streets but she did have a flat at the time but we would often actually just sit outside because she was most comfortable on the pavement and we would read the Psalms together every Monday night um, and she was amazing she taught me so much about prayer um, and one night after we'd finished I, I asked her where she was going and she said, oh, I'm going to head into the West End. Um, often there can be, you know, a bit of uh, angst in the West End. She goes, and because I know Jesus, I know that I carry peace. And I'm just going to go and sit in the West End. And I'm going to believe that because of my presence, there will be peace. And I just thought it was this lovely story of just embodying this sense of knowing the one who that we're alive in in some ways. Um, it embodies Jesus's words when he says, freely you have received, now freely give. And I wonder if the band would just like to come back up. We're going to um, sing and worship together. And as we do so, it might be that you want to begin a conversation with Jesus. Maybe as we worship, it might be that there's places where you think, oh, I have been trying to earn your favor in these areas, God. I have been trying to work for your love. And it might be that you just want to say, would you help me <laughs> just receive your grace in this area and just come to know the rest? Or it might be that you think, Do you know, what I've been exploring faith for a little while I'd love to have a conversation with someone about this I'd love to have a conversation with you God we can just begin to use our words we can sing the songs as our prayer or maybe you would like to come and have prayer with someone at the end of the service or it might be that you think oh there's areas of my life that even though I have come to know Jesus I would love to bring into the light and I would love to know freedom and it might be that you want to go to the steps course intro after the service today it might be that you want to ask someone want to go for a coffee and begin to talk about this with a friend or whatever it might be but um just know <laughs> that when Jesus says for God so loved the world he gave his one and only son everything that he does out is love is out of love and out of wanting the best for us so I'll pray and then we will sing together Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that your story has not changed since the beginning of time. That when we read of the account how you created us, you created us to know love 
and life. And I want to thank you, Father, for all that you have done to make this possible, for all that you have done to make a way for us to know freedom, for us to know grace, for us to know joy, for us to know hope, for us to know love and life in all its fullness. And for wherever we are at today, as we sing this song together, Father, may we experience something of that today. And may we have great conversations with one another that allow us to open up and know more of you in all of our everyday lives. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.